Movies and Booze on Moncrief. Brought to you by Lidl's award-winning wine range. Lidl. More for you. Enjoy alcohol sensibly. Visit drinkaware.ie. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You can fa- uh, follow us on Twitter or send us an email to afternoon at newstalk.com if you uh, wish to complain about something. Uh, if it's a very serious complaint, uh, ring 208 uh, 3111. Uh, that would be the uh, RT switchboard. Uh, right, okay. Uh, we do have a hashtag as well. It's Post Office Movies. And we are joined uh, in the studio uh, and uh, and elsewhere by Fanula Jones, Leslie Williams, and Esther McCarthy. Good afternoon to you all. Good Hi afternoon, guys. Uh, there you are, uh, loud and clear. Esther, very good. Now the two, well, West Side Story, obviously everyone's heard of that. Uh, Wrath of Man, no idea what that is. So uh, it, it, the first one, this is a remake of West Side Story, or am I wrong? It kind of is. It's a companion piece to West Side Story, I suppose, which is the best thing I can say about it, because why would you remake West Side Story? Um, one of the greatest musicals of all time, a film I absolutely adored. Um, but it is 60 years old now, you know, other, other people have riffed on other things a lot more than uh, than on this one. And there have been numerous stage adaptations. So I suppose the answer to why is why not as far as Steven Spielberg was concerned. And I was really on board when I realised he was going to be directing because, you know, whatever your preferences of his films or, you know, whichever one stand out for you. He's got a workmanlike attitude and you got the sense that if, if Spielberg's going to do West Side Story, he's not going to make a mess of it. He's going to do something well, you know. So they've done a really, really good job. They're not trying to modernise it. They're not trying to reinvent the wheel, but there are lovely little flourishes and touches in here, um, which I think just complement the original film. And that was the best thing about it for me. Uh, Rita Marino, who of course was Anita in the the 1961 classic, turns up here as well in a supporting role. Um, she's 89 now, and she is just brilliant in it, Sean. And it's just just really poignant, I suppose, about to see her in it uh, and to see the film as I did in the cinema just three days after the great Stephen Sondheim passed away. Uh, who was lyricist on on so many great films and and stories, of course, but uh, wrote the lyrics for a lot of the songs in this one Ah. very early in his career. So it was really poignant um, hearing those songs being reinvented um, and, and, you know, just three days after he passed away. Um, Of course, West Side Story itself is a riff on Romeo and Juliet. You Mm. know, you're in Manhattan, but you might as well be in Verona uh, with these two star-crossed lovers from rival gangs. Um, and, and whether their love story can survive that. Uh, it's a really timely, I think. I think we all need um, the big hug of an escapist musical this year. Um, and I think it just comes at the right time at the end of a very hard and tiring year. OK, so is Wrath of Man equally huggy? <laughs> well, it's got Jason Statham in it. If you, if you think Jason Statham needs a hug. All right, it's more like a punch in the face then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this one's quite violent, actually. It's a 16 cert. It's the new guy, Richie. Um, and uh, it's go- it's on the streamers uh, for for uh, rental from today. Um, and it's got, yeah, it's, it's Guy Ritchie working with Jason, Jason Statham again for the first time in a long time. Like they've made a few films together and Richie was certainly instrumental in his career, I think, in the early days. 
but this is the first time they've worked together for a while and it is kind of set it's a hard one to give away you're going to laugh what plot in the Guy Ritchie movie but the plot is actually quite complex here and it's Ooh. kind of it's kind of Guy Ritchie trying to do Christopher Nolan there are different timelines oh, and different sweet uh, Jesus <laughs> yep um, <laughs> So it's Guy Ritchie uh, um, uh, pretentiously copying someone who's really pretentious, but actually ultimately (laughs) empty. It is kind of ultimately empty, but it is, I think, Guy Ritchie trying to do something different, actually, which is quite interesting. Mm. He's kind of gone down the Hollywood route route with a few things lately, tried to do that Aladdin remake. It was horrible. Uh, And then came back last year and made The Gentleman, which nobody seems to have seen. Uh, which I really enjoyed. It was like everyone said Guy Ritchie's movies were too Guy Ritchie and Mm. Guy Ritchie said, hold my beer and gave us The Gentleman. And I actually thought it was quite funny. Uh, A lot of geezers and and stuff like that. But uh, I I, I did enjoy it. So this is kind of him trying to be more serious, more action heavy um, and using Jason Satham, who is almost a genre in himself at this stage, isn't he? Yeah. I mean, if you know if you're getting a Jason Statham movie, exactly what you're getting. Uh, and is it is it, is it uh, go blimey London accents or is everyone uh, have that kind of neutral uh, mid Atlantic accent? No, this one's set in America actually. Ooh. Around um, yeah, around a security firm which Jason Statham takes a job for, and uh, there's only it's, oh my god, it's so it, complex. I'm lost already. <laughs> <laughs> I did, it was actually, I'm, I'm not proud to admit this on live radio, but the plot lines confused me a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> so just, just going, don't tell anybody. Who's he again? Okay? <laughs> right, okay, not a word. Uh, not a word. Obviously, another riff on, on Shakespeare too. So uh, are we drinking posh wines today, Leslie? Very posh wines today. We are drinking um, grower champagne and we are drinking uh, fine Margot from Bordeaux. So um, I just thought Christmas and, you know, and these are two things I think you should have in the house at this time of the year. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, we drink a lot of champagne, but there's a big shortage, but there's less of it. Is there seriously? There a, is. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's, it's a few things. I mean, I mean, it doesn't help that Bollinger's importer forgot to order extra in September. And then when they went to do it in October, they were told we've none left or you've had your allocation. And that's happened with a lot of people. There's just um, not been enough allocated, uh, enough ordered in. And we also quite surprisingly drank huge amounts of it last year um, despite the pandemic and people in lockdown were drinking champagne apparently mm. um, and is that why there's a shortage well that's one reason and also vintages are down and vintage was down this year by 25% so that means that oh. um, 22 or something percent um, and that means that they are they're holding back stocks for the future because champagne is mainly a blended wine I mean there are vintage versions and single varietal versions and so on that are from the one year but mostly the standard stuff we drink your yellow label Vauclico is a blend from different years um, and so you need to keep back stocks of previous years you can't just release it all otherwise the, the quality goes down and you ruin the brand that you've spent billions building over the years Does so. that shortage then affect other sparkling wines? Well, I mean look some of it is to do with I think what Jean was talking about uh, recently as well as to do with logistics and so on like that there's a shortage of things getting in but there has been a shortage there is a shortage shortage of everything at the moment. Um, Chablis is going to be down next year. That's 22%. They had frost again. Frost everywhere in France last year, at least in most regions. Um, so there's just a general shortage. And uh, don't forget, we've got uh, minimum pricing coming in in the new year. Mm. So this is your last Christmas for cheap wines, basically. Oh, my God. If you can get your hands <laughs> in it. 
And Margot, yes. uh, is Margot a place? It's a village. Yeah, all oh, right. Okay, so yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. in Bordeaux, yeah. which is also a place. It's, what confuses people is there is a Chateau Margot, yeah. um, which is yeah. a very, very nice place. I, I leave a picture at home of our 1979 burnt orange Opel Cadet parked in front of it. That's at the gates. <laughs> it looks great. Bit of class there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Very nice. Yeah, okay. Well, I I'm, I'm, must say I, I'm looking forward to... Uh, uh, the two of them. Uh, Anya says, Ah, no, Sean, you don't like Christopher Nolan. Usually I agree with you on most things. Nolan's one of the best directors going. You can't tell me you didn't like Dunkirk or Interstellar. Uh, uh, well, yeah, okay, fair enough. Uh, I, I kind of, Interstellar look, took a couple of views to kind of go, mm, I don't know. Mm, yeah. uh, Dunkirk. Dunkirk, that was interesting, I think, from that whole thing, there's a discussion going on about uh, people are increasingly saying, I can't hear what anyone's saying. Yeah, and uh, people had the same thing about Tenet. And now Tenet, yeah. obviously, mm. there's plot issues there as well. But yeah, yeah that's a, a very regular complaint for him. He's very hit or miss. But when he hits, he hits good, I think. Okay, yeah, but, it, but yeah, uh, Tenet was just garbage. Yeah, let's not I even... I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you fell asleep in one of the noisiest films of the 21st century. Well done. That is good. Uh, though it might be overtaken by Avatar 2, which is coming. Oh no, the sigh. <laughs> it's 12 years since the first one and I couldn't tell you a thing that happened in a bar. A guy goes there and everyone's blue and it's... And, I, and the blue people beat away the, the, the baddie humans. Yeah, and I know, kind of I, I know there's a theme about like, you know, Ecological like colonialism blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. and like environmental struggles. Yeah, but like Avatar 2 seemingly is coming. We know more details about it now. Uh, producer John Lando did an interview this week and kind of revealed some things. He was speaking to Total Film. And he said basically that the universal theme of Avatar 2 is family, because of course it is. Um, it's basically, so obviously to bring us back to where, to what the movie was, it's this guy, Jake Sully, he decides to stay on this planet with Natari that he falls in love with, who's one of these blue alien people. They have kids now, but the, that planet, Pandora is what the planet was called. Yeah. Thank you to my memory. Um, the mining operation that was originally happening in the first one, they're back again, shocker. Um, and he relocates the family to what they think is a safe haven, but actually all is not what it seems and they're actually uh, under threat there as well so I I, I don't know who's the, it's not that I have an issue with this coming back but I feel like there was a very small window for them to have this sequel and capture like the attention of the general public mm. and I feel like they're so far past that as a movie form I wouldn't I wouldn't mind it maybe as a TV series but if you think about the original conversation that happened around Avatar 1 about the fact that it was so technologically yeah. class and it yeah. looked class I feel like we're so far past that being impressive now and we're so spoiled with streaming and I think feel like we're yeah. just so yeah, hard to impress now yeah. I don't know who is actively looking forward to this and is waiting with I bet you there are people looking forward to it the thing about Avatar is that you're kind of looking at it and going it was incredibly impressive Mm. there was a lot of very clever ideas about the the, the world building element Mm. of it and even the story uh, um was a reasonably good story. It's not a terrible movie. No, no, it's not a terrible. It's just James Cameron. It's just the, it's the words he makes come out of people's mouths are usually garbage. (laughs) Yeah. And that's the only thing that you just want to get into the set, slap people and say, say that differently. (laughs) Uh, And that would be good. That actually might be a good movie. I mean, I mean, an excellent movie. Yeah. Yeah. There's something in it, but sure. There's like four more sequels planned after this as well. Oh my God. Now that's an exaggeration, but there's, I think there's definitely at least another two after this one. But I just, that's where I'm like, why would you not do kind of a decent TV series? Because I see the concept there and I get that then. But I don't know how you play this over 
even three more movies I just don't know I just What's don't it? know Is 3D the thing though and 3D is kind of gone now and nobody cares about it Yeah I think yeah. they only brought in 3D to stop people pirating films but then the pandemic did their work for them there probably <laughs> at home with the avatars <laughs> coming on Netflix that'd be that'd be a great one why is this why was there such a big gap then between the first one and the second one? Oh, god I actually don't know that off the top of my head I'm assuming like money you couldn't and think of any idea yeah probably oh yeah. they come back to the oh I hadn't thought of that <laughs> children of course yes yeah that's a brilliant idea uh, what, 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 uh, what are we going to uh, have first we're going to go champagne champagne will you pop the champagne there while while, uh, we discuss what strikes me as an odd casting choice oh okay Tom Holland to play Fred Astaire I I don't think it's that odd. I, oh, there you go. Yeah. Leslie's celebrating. Yeah, he's going to play Fred Astaire in an upcoming biopic. Um, he has a lot of dance experience because he was in uh, Billy Elliot the Musical from 2008 to 2010 in the West End. Like, Okay, fair enough. Yes, which I yeah. didn't know. I've seen him yeah. on other kind of reality TV things where he's done musical things and it's been relatively impressive. But does that translate to the screen? I don't know. When I read this, I was like, yeah, I can see this. Um, he's working on it with Amy Pascal. She's producing it. She's obviously done all the recent Spider-Mans and she did some of the Venoms. Um, Ginger Rogers has not been cast. He's very enthusiastic about it. He said he's going to go back and he's going to start retaking his tap lessons so he can be up to speed. I don't think it's that strange casting. No, I, I, no I, I get the whole dancing thing. The, uh, 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 Aesthetically? Why, why, no, why it struck me as strange is that Fred Astaire, certainly in every movie I remember Fred Astaire is, it was he's a middle-aged man. He's well into his 50s. That's... And he's always like got some like 22-year-old hanging off him. Mm. You know, it's he's directly from that era of movies. And Tom Holland's too young. Yeah, Tom, uh, Tom Holland needs to start smoking 65 yeah. a day <laughs> if he's really going to get into this part. They're probably going to make him do it because he looks about 14 and has for the last four years. So. Yeah. That's the thing. Uh, Larry says, uh, you know who would have been a better choice for Fred Astaire? Jason Statham. I'd watch that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I'd watch that too. (laughs) Uh, uh, My God, Christopher Nolan doing... uh, Christopher Nolan is bad enough without Guy Ritchie having a go. How on earth does he get the dosh for these masterpieces? Uh, Someone else says, you're all being surprisingly Guy Bitchy today. Did I miss a Guy Ritchie cancel memo? His movies are good. The Gentleman was a great watch. And Jason Statham does his thing well. He's not trying to be something he's not. And he's making gazillions. Happy out. Yes, man. Peace. Let's not have an opinion about anything ever. (laughs) Apart from this delicious champagne that's in front of us. Tell us more, Leslie. Okay, so this is, uh, I got this from David Wheelan out in uh, Lachlan Stance, the old silver tassie. Um, David would be well known to people. He used to be on TV3 and various things like that. Yes, I think we've had him on. Possibly had him. Yeah. yeah. Um, so David found this, and this is a. Um, um, I did get the correct word. We here. just couldn't get them. That's why you're here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, this is a récolton manipulant uh, champagne, right? Okay. Which, which means it's a grower champagne. And if you look at the back of the bottle, and I actually took me a minute to find it on this, but it is there, RM, and that's how you know it's been grown. And the grapes are ninety five percent grown by the man who made it and by the family that are on the front label. There's only about two thousand five hundred growers doing this, maybe less even. And I think there's. It's got tougher for them because if you are good and exporting your champagne, you know, you, you need more. So a lot of them are kind of joining forces with other people and so on. But most champagnes are... are um, you'll, you'll, I didn't actually realise it was quite the extent of this. Is it, 
like your standard bottle of Veuve Clicquot would have negociant manipulant in it, on it which means a, a negociant made by a negociant which means he's buying in the grapes mm. but then there's other things like CM so cooperative manipulant which is a cooperative and there's about 130 cooperatives in, in Champagne but what I like about this is just it's, it's clearly an individual Champagne it's a little more distinctive a little more rounded full mm. even the colour you notice is this yeah is dusty it's pink. an interesting yeah. it's a slightly blush well, almost it, well, in certain see, lights d- don't oh, forget, that's because I'm holding up towards well, no, the no, red it is, yeah. it is and actually what's interesting there is the grapes you see are two of the grapes in Champagne are red grapes and this is mm. um, this has got some Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier in it which are two parts of it and then some Chardonnay but I'm getting a bit more Pinot Noir on this which is uh, this, that sort of you get a slightly red fruit kind of character to it almost but it's creamy it's got those brioche scents and so on I just think it was really kind of good and the best thing is it's like 34 euro you okay, will, you will not get mowed even at, and it's you know like they're yeah. all 60, 70 and this is a small producer made from grapes he grew himself and so on uh, you know and oftentimes sometimes with, with champagne you get that kind of biscuity taste yeah. and sometimes it's it's just like somebody's crammed a biscuit <laughs> in your mouth and it's too much there's a bit of that there but it's nice and subtle yeah and it's and it's soft as well I think yeah. it's, and it, it's balanced and I just thought it was a really interesting champagne when I had it earlier in the year you yeah know? so um, uh, but it, it, presumably though, there's only a limited amount of bottles of this then. um well he built, yeah, actually, good question. I don't know how many. Most of them, the average brewer of champagne makes about 15,000, 20,000 bottles of, mm. of champagne. These guys are a bit longer doing it, so they might be a little bit bigger. I didn't actually get a figure on how big they are. I mean, David has it. I mean, it's just that's what I'm saying is if you, there is a shortage of champagne this year. Bollinger's yeah. gone. Um, things like Dom Perignon and Cristal, they're there, but you're going to you get, get going quick if you want the really good ones. Um, the smaller grower champagnes like this is less of a problem because they're not we are terribly brand conscious in this country and we buy the big ones we yeah. buy the famous ones um, so uh, like the, like say like O'Brien's where the red wine is coming from they they had their cooperative champagne that they bring in is quite good and they have plenty of stocks of that they tell me um, and I think Charles Heidzik is okay and I think Paul Piper Heidzik is okay but I've, I know that there are problems with Paul Roger and there's problems with definitely problems with Bollinger nobody has Bollinger but the only stuff I've seen was stuff that was brought in from England it was 80 euros <laughs> because it, well, it had to be imported especially because yeah. so, they just wanted to have it that was in the vintry yeah. but at least they have it they had to pay a lot extra for it but at least they have a few bottles in case people really really need it you know and yeah so, well for yeah. 80 quid you'd want to really really need it anyway yeah. I know Esther having no Bali for Christmas is a disaster for you uh, uh, what movie would you like to do- talk about first I'm actually bereft here let's talk about <laughs> West Side Story to okay. okay West Side Story coming up after this what's forever like I want to be with you forever. You don't want to start maybe with I'd like to take you out to coffee? No. Come on. I want to take you to a shop full of nuts for a cream cheese sandwich on a raisin bread. This ain't casual like that. Oh. I want to be with you forever. Quiero estar contigo para siempre. Quiero estar con... Con, Con, contigo, with you, contigo. para siempre. 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 There you go. Uh, that's uh, West Side Story, uh, the rebooted. Well, not rebooted. Is it just like basically completely remade West Side Story, Esther? It is. It's to be fair to Spielberg. I think he's doing a lot of new things here, um, including actually it's interesting he had that clip because... Um, this has caused a bit of controversy and I just want to assure people when they see the film, it completely works. Um, you have characters speaking to each other on occasion with no subtitles. Um, and what Spielberg is, is doing there, I think, is leaning into the language and almost transcending it. Um, 
And it, you know, it never serves as a distraction. It's in English 95% of the time. Okay. Sometimes there's big scenes between um, maybe a, a couple or, or two lovers or they're having a fight or they're expressing passions for each other. And it transcends the, so, you know, there's, there's no need subtitle. I didn't know what they were saying, but I knew what they were saying, if that makes sense. Okay. And I think it's um, kind of a daring move. He's gotten, it's getting a way more... Um, controversial coverage than it deserves I think because it works beautifully and we'd be first here to complain if he did a photocopy of the original film and didn't bring in new ideas so I liked that I have to say yeah and um, why 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 is that the, the lack of subtitles attracting controversy because people are saying well in other languages it should be there will it will probably be in, in the French version or, or, or other versions um, why but not why the Spanish indeed, version Sean, I imagine uh, like uh, why indeed is the question you know yeah. I don't think it should be um, I, I think uh, you don't need to know if you're really being carried into a film, you don't need to know literally what's been said on screen to understand what's been said on screen. So, yeah, I think it's a bit daft. Um, the other thing he's done new here is brought back uh, the wonderful Rita Moreno, uh, who was Anita in the original film, of course, stole the film from under the nose of everyone. Um, and they've given her, he's made her a new character. Um, so we have a new, a whole new backstory here, a whole new character. She's played, she plays a character called Valentina, um, who is uh, runs a shop in the middle of the community and is um, Puerto Rican herself, but married a gringo, as they call them, uh, and, and has experienced that racism her whole life that the Jets and the Sharks are now fighting about, of course, because they're two rival gangs, one uh, uh, of white European origin and one of Puerto Rican origin, who both live in the same community and are fighting a bit of a turf, turf war for that community, just in case there's anyone out there who doesn't know what West Side Story is about. And I think it's it's really poignant to have, first of all, to have Reno back in the film, but also to have her at the age of 89, playing this character who's lived this kind of life, you know, who experienced um, prejudice in Hollywood herself. Really poignant, I thought. And she's a properly fleshed out, rounded character. So again, he's doing something new here. Um, I didn't think, though, Mourinho's um, Anita could ever be matched. But what we've got here is an absolute star-making performance from a brilliant actress by the name of Ariana DeBose. If you're into your US musical theatre, you'll already know her and you'll be rolling your eyes and going, yeah, I've been saying that for years. Uh, She was in shows like Hamilton. She's been brilliant in everything she does. But she's playing Anita in this one. So she's taking like an iconic performance and she absolutely transforms it, makes it her her own. And she's far and away the greatest thing about this film. You Like, you just can't take your eyes off her when she's on screen. Um, along with David Alvarez, actually, another kind of dying-the-wall musical theatre, Broadway type of performer. He plays another one of the best characters in the original film, um, who is Anita's boyfriend, Bernardo. And this is the movie couple you really invest in, though, and that's a slight problem for me at the start. Um, Tony and Maria didn't entirely convince me. So my Romeo and Juliet left me feeling a little bit flat um, in the early moments of the film. Okay. And I think it is the casting. Um, Ansel Elgort is, he just doesn't seem, first of all, he's too kind of pretty boy. He's too kind of pretty leading man to play Tony, I think. Um, And uh, he didn't seem to be entirely comfortable in the musical format for me. Uh, and Rachel Zelger, who is uh, Maria, who, like in the original film, is very 
kind of innocent and pure. I found a little bit too prim here, um, just a little bit too. And now she gets better as the story builds and the kind of there is more at stake. She, it, it turns into a really good performance. But I just did not quite believe them as a couple in the opening half hour. And I was going, oh, no, am I going to not like this? And then it just becomes an absolutely wonderful film. So it has a couple of wobbles for me at the start. But for me, once the story kicks in, I think Spielberg has done a really good job as well of, you know, it's almost fantastical, the idea that, you know, two rival gangs living in the same Manhattan community, that there would be stakes involved. It feels like storytelling. Um, but I think what Spielberg has done is really feed into the migration story um, and cast the migrants very, very well um, and given it a real grit and a real sense of menace. So when stuff starts going badly wrong in the latter hours of the film, you're actually quite tense and quite invested in what's going on. You're, you don't think you're just watching pretty people play fighting through musical theatre. You know, there's proper drama here. And I think, again, that's casting um, the character of Riff, who's kind of the lead of the of the European migrants, um, is played by Mike Feist, who is not somebody I've seen on screen before, but he is absolutely fantastic. Feels properly dyed in the wool, 1950s immigrant who's willing to fight and go to war for his... Um, Rick, you know, in, in American soil. And he is, of course, trying to convince Tony, who is trying to stay out of trouble. He's an ex-con to come back into the fold and to come back into the gang warfare. Um, so it's all there. It's kind of and, and there's a moment when uh, Tony and Maria first meet at a school dance that's been organised by the community to try and get the gangs to stop fighting with each other. And there's a wonderful dance off where every, you know, they're, they're trying to uh, show that they're cultural moves are better I suppose and that's a big big dance off scene and then that's where Tony and Maria for, meet first and they're the only couple from opposite sides of the line um, to dance with each other so the kind of the line is drawn there and uh, the stakes are set I suppose for a big poignant finale and uh, the songs are fantastic again Spielberg's done his own thing with the songs um, which is great uh, he's given them a fresh perspective. And again, that, by telling that migrant story, um, the two set pieces are like America is just 15 minutes of absolute joy on screen carried by Ariana DeBois. Um, and there's a really, really, really moving take as well on somewhere um, the kind of an extended. They turn that song into kind of an extended montage um, with various characters singing it, including Rita Marino, which is just lovely. It's really special, this. I really enjoyed it, despite misgivings, maybe in the first 40 minutes. Um, and it looks beautiful as well. I'm not sure if he shot in film or not, but it looks absolutely dyed in the world, 1957 Technicolor. Um, and it just leaps off the big screen. Right, okay. Very, very sweet, this. Uh, Shona says, glad to hear uh, in that clip you uh, you played, there are spoken scenes. I like the songs in musicals. I can't get on board with song conversations. They sound ridiculous. And if I remember the original, most of the dialogue was sung. Is that true? I can't remember. No, I don't think so. I, I don't think it's... It, they call those sing-through musicals. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it was. I think there's plenty of dialogue in the original. Lots of big songs as well. I, I, I almost wanted more songs here. Um, but yeah, I'm not a big fan of the sing-throughs either, especially the, the dreary ones. I remember going to see Le, the news version of Les Miserables 
oh my God, it was three hours long or something and the whole thing was sung through and it was also, it was literally a misery fest and I was going, get me out of here. This is the opposite of that. If you if you see a film like Les Mis and, and you think you don't like musicals, there's so much going on here. There's so much drama and escapism and colour and fire. But I, for me, the 1961 film is still... I think I was thinking, you know, why do, why I love it so much. And I think it's because sometimes really, really great films, when they're made in their time, there's more of an urgency. So mm. I think with, um, you know, something like Casablanca, which was made during the war and you go, my God, like people were still fighting on the front lines when this story was told, you know. And I think it's the same with West Side Story. The migrants were, they felt like they just got off the boat. They, were, they felt feisty and real. And I think you can't, recreate that 60 years later but I think Spielberg has had cop on to not try basically mm-hmm. he's he, he I think you watch this and you think the biggest fan of the original film is the person who made this one okay and fair that, enough that's why it works for me uh, and somebody on Twitter says I wish Aston McCarthy would stop referring to pretty boys I'm a pretty boy stigma survivor and just about made it to middle age spread so uh, I do consider <laughs> Esther uh, the feelings of some of our listeners when you're wantonly using uh, uh, these phrases uh, somebody has a question uh, for you Leslie it is this can you uh, what's the difference between DOP and DOC with Prosecco uh, um, okay, well, one is an older bottle and one is a newer bottle because uh, DOC became DOP. It's the same thing. Ah, right, okay. okay but it's, the, the word controle, so appellation d'origine controle in France yeah. and denomazione d'origine controllata. I think yeah. <laughs> it, 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 sounds they, good they, to me. Yeah, the, the, the EU has regularised them and basically made them all protégé, protected rather than controlled. Right, protégé okay. rather than controlled. There's your answer. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk, where you have more movies and booze to talk about after this. There we go. Uh, nobody won. Josh Hartnett. Uh, was nearly in Brokeback Mountain. Yeah, I didn't know this. Maybe this yeah. is common knowledge, but he's, I didn't know he's, this either. he's back. Promo- he was doing a lot of interviews in Australia for some reason, promoting a lot of things. But yeah, it was him and Joaquin Phoenix, apparently, were supposed to be the two cowboys that obviously the parts went to Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger. Um, Josh couldn't do it because he was filming The Black Dahlia and I think they crossed over. Not sure why Joaquin didn't do it in the end. But basically, yeah, he said that it's it was a massive regret because he wanted to kiss Joaquin Phoenix. So. Maybe Joaquin Phoenix didn't want to sn- uh, kiss him. <laughs> very true. Yeah. Very true. Bit but I would too say, tonguey for yeah. me. Thank you very much. <laughs> Probably also a huge regret because of how successful it went on to be. But yeah, uh, and he uh, kind uh, of do, hasn't done much since. Uh, do, has Josh Hartnett kind of given up acting or what, what's his, what's his deal he's at the He's still moment? doing, but there, he's a new movie, which I think is what he's promoting and it's on it's it's on demand I can't remember the name off the top of my head not sure if it's any good but he's basically said that because obviously he was in like Pearl Harbor and he was in loads of other stuff and was like a bit of a tabloid fixture for a while and he said that basically the pressure of being in the limelight was too much he said he really enjoyed making films but he was kind of 21 when he came up and he said the press was a little bit different back in there was paparazzi around every corner you couldn't really go anywhere without sort of being harassed and he basically just said I don't want to do that anymore so I'm going to take a step back and he just kind of does his own little projects in the background now. He's based in the UK, I think. He's still doing bits, but definitely not not any kind of Brokeback Mountain, Pearl Harbor. Not any big ones. Not then. any big ones, no. You'd wonder what they do in between. 
Yeah, you would. You just like lie around, you know, <laughs> letting himself go to pot. Just lounging. Yeah. Lounging. <laughs> uh, watching, like watching loads of daytime telly. <laughs> the dream, yeah. <laughs> Tipping would, point, all, actually, all the classics. Yeah, that might be a shouting out the answers. <laughs> uh, 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 at the thing. Uh, anyway, let, Leslie, uh, let, let's uh, move on to our red wine of the day. Yes, so now second point is Charms de Kerwin and is the second wine of Chateau Kerwin. So Chateau Kerwin, as you might have guessed, uh, with the name like Kerwin, was created by an Irishman back in 1760 when he married somebody in Bordeaux and they created a chateau basically and um, they moved quite quickly and became quite successful and then in 1855 it was ranked as a troisième Grand Cru Classé so a third growth um, and it's always been interesting and I this is literally probably the first Chateau Curran was probably the first good wine I ever bought and drank like as in paid for with my own money from okay. O'Brien's back in the 90s because um, they've always had it for some reason Um it's in a much more fruit forward style these days. So I should explain second wine. I mean, the top wine is about 70 euros. This is about 35. Okay. Um, all right, so this is like the B grade then. Yeah, but, but, not, but it's yeah. younger vines. So okay. the vines that have only been planted maybe five to 10 years um, as opposed to the vines that are there 35 to 60 years. Um, and so you just get lighter grapes and so on. It's more charming though. I mean, that's why they've called it. It is, it is easier drinking. You drink it earlier. Um, I did taste the 2017 of this about a year ago and when it came out and it was good, but it was really dense and and dark and just need a bit of time in fact and it's interesting with the second wines you often find so another one people might have come across is Frank Phelan Frank Phelan so that's the second one of Phelan Segur and I remember once at a wine tasting taking a bottle of Chateau Phelan Segur worth about 80 euros from my wine cupboard to bring to the tasting and everyone preferred the Frank Phelan which cost 25 huh. you know, yeah so that you know so it is it is a thing that happens and it, 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 the second one is interesting I mean there was a time when they were genuine bargains there was a time when Caroa de Lafitte which is Chateau Lafitte is the most famous of the one of the mm. most famous ones that used to be sort of I remember seeing it for 40 quid a bottle 100 quid a bottle today if anyone is interested there is uh, cases of it going up for auction at Shepherd's literally this afternoon uh, I was looking and their current estimate is about four to 5,000 but I suspect it'll sell for six to 8,000 the case you know? Oh crikey Which is mad money you know? yeah. But anyway so this is just Margot is a village as we said in Bordeaux it's mainly Cabernet 55 to 60% Cabernet a bit of Merlot a bit of Petit Verdot um, and just dense chocolatey dark red mm. fruits and juicy and look, a lot of people say oh you know most people will not recommend Cabernet Sauvignon in Bordeaux for a Christmas dinner but I've often had it for Christmas dinner you just want a nice red wine that you like and I like Yeah this, absolutely you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like if you're having turkey, yeah. like there isn't Anything like a turkey this. wine. No, no. Yeah. Pinot Noir kind of goes really well with the brown meat, but only in good turkeys. <laughs> so like yeah. it's really specific. Good turkeys and good families. Yeah, kind exactly. Of thing from exactly. the south side. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> exactly. those oh, kind of turkeys. turkeys. <laughs> Does then go, well, what goes, what would go with then if you have, if you're having ham as well? Oh yeah, ham is an interesting one. I actually quite like white wine with ham. Things like Pinot Gris and mm. things like this. You see, so, so you have they, to have they, they, both basically. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Really, and, and champagne. Champagne goes with everything. And, and, yeah. and you just sip one every time you take a mouthful of, of yes, ham and exactly. or turkey, and uh, then Sauvignon Blanc on the side for your Brussels sprouts because yeah. nothing can cope with them except for Brussels. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. Well, we'll move on uh, uh, to our second retelling of an old Shakespearean tale. It, it is the uh, the Wrath of Man. Here's a clip. You love who your new partner is. Just tell me it ain't the limey. Rando Duke himself. Voice wet. You'll be happy to hear that H is replacing Sticky John. Thank you, Stuart. Got it, boo. Stay off from under my feet. We'll get along just fine. Do you have any idea how dangerous this job can be? Some idea, yeah. No, you have no idea. We ain't the predators. We're the prey. Ooh. Boy sweats up front. You jump in there with him. What do you say, boss? 
Right, there you go. Uh, the Wrath of Man. Uh, okay, so hit us with the complex plot, Esther. Uh, it is actually, believe it or not. Uh, it's kind of, well, it's, there's, there be spoilers, I suppose, is what I'd say. Um, I was on board with this for the first half because it throws up the immortal lines often coming out of Jason Statham's mouth, like, you ain't much for talking, are you Mary Poppins? Uh, and Dave, you just I worry about... I don't even understand your... what does that mean, even. You ain't much for talking, Mary exactly. Poppins. Mary Poppins exactly. talks all the time. And, and he, he, he does say to another guy at one stage, Dave, you just worry about putting your a-hole into your a-hole and leave the rest to me. Uh, so I was well on board with this. I thought, oh, is Jason Statham going to have, like, go full Jason Statham in a, in, um, a Guy Ritchie film? Because this could almost be fun. Uh, there is a scene early on as well where he's working for a security company and they're ambushed. And the poor guy in the security company, his boss, has to try and persuade Jason Statham to go and see a therapist because he might be traumatised after the, the rage. So there's that kind of fun. And then I realised, no, we're getting something a bit more dour. Um, where they are toying with us at the start, but then the story goes into like trying to be all. It's a very Guy Ritchie trying to conflate what is essentially a revenge film. It's a revenge thriller. Okay. It's more complicated than it needs to be, but he is trying to do something different through you know time t- timelines and stuff like that. So Jason Statham. Uh, who's joined by Josh Hartnett here, seeing as you're, you've been ah, um, speculating you as to yeah. where he's been. He's uh, yeah, he's the. He's How's he looking? Is he here. getting a bit chubby now, given he spends much, so much time at home eating burgers? No, he looks like Josh Hartnett. Okay, all right, <laughs> sorry, right, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> actually, he hasn't even aged. Like he's just a handsome, handsome man. <laughs> and actually, the one tough girl in this movie who holds her own among among the guys is from Mullingar, uh, a young actress by the name of Neve Algar, who's been killing it. Oh, yeah, she's great. Um, in the last few years, working with Ridley Scott and people like that and, and shooting this over in London. So she's a, it's it's very much a supporting role. But as as in everything Neve Algar does, she stands out and you go, who's that girl? Um, so that's great to see. But Statham basically plays this character called H. Um, who shows up for this job at a US security firm called Fortico. Um, They assume he's just looking for a gig. Uh, His story and his references all stack up, um, but he barely passes his fitness and aptitude tests, which kind of puzzles them a little. Um, So the reason they're recruiting is there has been uh, a a bank raid, which we see at the very start of the film, that ends very violently and bloody. And uh, a few of the guys... Uh, the security guys end up being killed in that raid. So the company's a bit jittery about who they take on and, and what's going on. Uh, and he, the first raid, it it ends badly for the other guys. Let's just put it that way. Uh, he's involved in another raid. So there seems to be a spate of them going on. Or is there? Because he then is involved in a raid about nearly an hour into the film where he gets out of the van and gives them a hard stare and the criminals run away. And I thought... This is hilarious. Like they're just having him stare at people now to get them to run. I was well up for that film. But then I thought, no, that's not what they're trying to do here because I am being toyed with my timelines now. Uh, So suffice to say, uh, he's more of a professional than he seems. Okay, yeah. He's H Um, isn't what he appears to be. Why is he called? he isn't here. Why is he called H? He's called H as in the H bomb, Sean. There's a line of dialogue explaining that. That's not his actual name then. (laughs) 
Like when he applied for the job, did he just put H on it? And they went, oh, that's fine. That's a real name. You know what? He wouldn't have gotten the job with that name, would he? No, of course not. They just said, but they, prove your, but they you thought know, kind of they thought his references stacked up. This is the crappiest security <laughs> company on earth. <laughs> right? Okay, maybe go would, on. Yes. Yeah, so maybe put HH or something. Yes. Anyway, uh, you're kind of <laughs> you're left in no doubt, though, that he's more of a professional than he seems. Yeah. And that he that something has happened, and it's it's not revealed until nearly an hour in. So I'm not trying to be all um, like somebody who's really going to go and want to see this film is as entitled to go and see it spoiler free as, as anything else. Of like course. This. Yeah. Um, and, and he does seem to have been building for this moment. Uh, you are questioning, though, there's three or four obvious things. It is. Um, is he, you know, as a special agent on an inside job? Is he planning some ultimate heist on his own and he wants to find out all the information? Or is there vengeance on his mind? And sure, vengeance is always on Jason Statham's mind. You yeah, know? yeah, he's, um, he's a fair man to hold a grudge. He is. Uh, so it works to limited effect, I would say. They, you know, they, they I think Guy Ritchie's just trying to show off a bit too much here uh, by channeling the Christopher Nolan thing and using different timelines and plot lines. Admirable. That he's trying to do something different, I guess, but it worked to only limited effect for me now. By the time the movie leads to kind of a big, big heist finale, it's really violent, by the way. 16 search on this one. Um, There are lots of puzzles in the mix, but like it doesn't really answer anything in a satisfactory way for me. To me, it's just... um, a revenge thriller with Jason Statham where they play with timelines a little. Um, it's there you go, Amazon, Amazon yeah. Prime from today. Yeah, uh, so it's a Jason Statham film, basically. Uh, so uh, name the two wines again, very briefly. First, sure, Leslie, people we, always say, what, what's the name of yeah, those two? Yeah, so Charme de Kerwin, Margot 2017 from O'Brien's at 35 euros. And uh, L. Benard, or I think it's Louis Benard, Pitois Champagne from Wheelahan's Wines out in Lockenstown. There you go. Uh, finally, now, is there going to be a Home Alone, another Home Alone? Or is it going to be one of those like crap friends reunions? things that they're going to do I think it's actually going to be even worse and I think it's going to be just a virtual get together of them but I I think this will get the ball rolling for a friends thing which I hate that this trend has started obviously the Harry Potter one is coming out soon whatever we don't need them but basically Devin Rattray played Buzz in the original and he's he has a cameo in the terrible reboot that's on Disney Plus Home Sweet Home Alone he said basically the cast are kind of in talks to do something over the last few days um, and they're kind of looking to see maybe what would have happened to the family next after the last two movies. Basically, okay. does anyone want this? No. No, well, they're just going to talk about gonna it. They're going to do it anyway. Yeah. yeah. They're yeah. going to talk about it rather than actually do it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's cheap and it'll make a fortune. Yeah. Uh, thank you, uh, Leslie and Fanula and Esther. That's our last uh, for uh, today and this week indeed. Movies and Booze on Moncrief. Brought to you by Lidl's award-winning wine range. Lidl. More for you. Enjoy alcohol sensibly. Visit drinkaware.ie.